sermon part two, uh, right? We had the early one in the offering. Austin, we thank you for that so much. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I love you, man. Uh, I'm glad we have a relationship with you. Uh, that's going to be my turn right there. I don't know how else to do this. So, um, Well, I am glad you guys are here. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to the book of Ephesians. Now, Ephesians is in the New Testament, so go back to the back half. And actually, uh, it's a little small book that's back there. It's got about six chapters in it. So if it takes you a couple of times to flip through it, then just go to your digital version, and then you can just scroll down until you see the word Ephesians on there. Um, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, this series... This series called Relatable that we're starting today is not a dating or marriage series, right? Uh, it's, a, it's a relationship series. Now, you may say, well, that sounds like that's the same thing, right? No, no, they're a little bit different. You see, all of us have relationships in our lives, right? Now, how many of you, show of hands, would say that you think people are drama in the room? Yeah, hands going up all over the place. I appreciate that. Um, now, I'm not going to ask you if the person who you think is drama is sitting right next to you, um, but ladies, we all know the truth. Well, hey, check this out. Did you know that at any given time in your life, you have about 150 different relationships that you are balancing in your world? 150. Now, some of you just went, wow, I thought I had way more than that, right? Others of you are like, this guy is crazy. There is no way that I have 150 relationships in my life. Now, there's a third set of people that are out there that just realized what my point in saying all of this was, and that is there are 150 sets of drama that are in my life. Yeah, it's true. Well, Psychology Today did a little research, and they put out a survey that tells us about the different sets and the different types of relationships that we all have in our lives. And it comes out to about 150, and I want to walk through those real quickly just to give you an idea about what that looks like in your life. So I want you to think about your life like a gigantic bullseye, right? You've got all the different rings inside of the bullseye, and you sit in the very center of the bullseye. Now, some of you just went hyper-religious on me, and you just thought in your mind, I thought God was supposed to be the center of my life. What do you mean I'm supposed to be the center of everything? You're right, all right? You are supposed to have God at the center of your life, but for the purpose of this illustration, all right, just go with me that you are at the center of the bullseye. And the first circle that you come out and that you see is that group of your closest friends. It's the close ring, right? In fact, um, Proverbs 18.24 says this. It says that there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And these people who are in this, this close ring, this closest circle to you, they are those people that are nearest and dearest. They know everything. They know your secrets. You know their secrets. There is nothing hidden between you and them. In fact, when somebody says, how many friends do you have? This is the group of people that you instantly think of. Psychology Today told us that this is about three to five people on average that most people have in their close circle. Those people that are closer than a brother, closer than a sister. Those people that when everything goes wrong, you pick up the phone and call them no matter what time of day or night because they are your close 
friends. This is the group of people that whenever we think about our friends and we think, man, I just don't, I don't really have very many close relationships. I don't have very many friends because we're evaluating this group, this closest group to us that is three to five people. And so it may not be that big. And you're probably right, but that is really not a bad thing. It's just what our inner circle of trust looks like. Here's the second ring, the next ring coming out. It's the company ring. The people that you like to keep company with. This is where like your friends and your family and those people who maybe they don't know all of your inmost secrets, but you just like to spend time with them. You like to give them your company or for them to be in your company. It tells us that this is about 13 to maybe as many as 20 people in our lives that would fit inside of this circle. Sometimes it's our family, although I said we like to hang out with them, so some of you have already scratched your family off of this circle, right? But this is that group of people that you can get together with them, and it's like you just never missed a beat. You know those people. You know who they are. They're friends, but they don't know everything about you. Moving out to that next ring that's out, this is that group of what I call cordial friends. And we might use friends like this. These are our friends, right, in quotes. They're the people that you would say, oh, yeah, I guess they're my friend. I, I think so. Austin and I are cordial friends. I don't know. I may be moving you out of that circle. No. <laughs> no, no. But these cordial friends, these are the friends that we, uh, we don't really see them that often, and uh, we don't know a whole lot about their lives, and they don't know a whole lot about our lives, but we're friendly with them and towards them. This is like people that maybe at work, right, you see them at work, and you'll say hi to them, and you might talk about sports with them. It's the people, when you come to church, you'll shake their hands and you'll look down at their name tag to know their name, sort of a thing. I always have to see Austin's name. I always have to look down in order to remember his name. I try to forget it all the time. Um, but these are, these are people that maybe you served on a committee with them. Um, you would know them, and generally, we know something about them. And Psychology Today said this is about 50 people in our lives that we would know something about them, that we would talk to them, we'd interact with them, and that we are friendly with them. Then there's the last group that kind of rounds out all of the numbers. It's the crowd. The crowd is really, it's like 70 to 80 people. These are the people who, you know their face, they know your face, you kind of know each other. This is the group that makes us feel like we're at home somewhere. Right When you go to Taco Bell and the guy waves at you and he already knows your order at Taco Bell, that doesn't happen to anybody else? Maybe your barista, right? When you go to get your coffee drink, he already knows or she already knows what your coffee drink is. They're friendly with you. They know you. You know them. You smile and wave at each other at the grocery store, right? This is the crowd. This is what makes you feel like you're at home. You're comfortable because of the crowd that's around us. But you know, the crowd is not the group, and really the cordial is not the group where we struggle with the question of, am I 
relatable? Do people even like me? Right? Relatable, being relatable is this. It's the art of doing or or developing meaningful, full, and significant relationships. That's what it means to be relatable, is that you have meaningful, full, and significant relationships around you. And those sorts of relationships, they don't happen in the crowd. They don't happen as you become cordial with somebody. They happen as somebody moves towards being inside of your company and inside of your closest group of friends. But the problem is, is that the closer that somebody moves towards our center, the more vulnerable we become. The more likely it is And the more apt that it is that that person can hurt us. And as we develop meaningful and full and significant relationships, we take satisfaction. We take satisfaction in believing that that is what makes us relatable and that we are able to relate. But I want to share some really just frustrating truths about relationships with you today. Here's the first one. Relationships are fleeting. Relationships are fleeting. You see, relationships and people come and go very fast. Now, some might argue that they're faster today than it's ever been before. And it's true that they do happen fast. And because they are fleeting, it makes it hard to develop these sort of significant and and important relationships, meaningful relationships in our lives. Because oftentimes, the persons who we have some sort of a connection with and desire to build that sort of relationship with, they move or they move on. Here's a second really difficult thing about relationships. Relationships are fallible. Relationships are fallible. You see, we all have the ability to mess a relationship up. Not just us, right? Because we all know we have our own propensity to mess a relationship up. But the other person has the ability to mess a relationship up. And you know, it's really hard when somebody fails us or somebody falls in a relationship in order to say, you know what, it's okay that you fail or that you, you failed me or that you fell from what it is that we were headed towards and building, and so I'm going to continue to allow you to get closer to me. If somebody fails, or if we fail somebody else, our natural inclination is to push them to the side and to discontinue to build a relationship with that person. You see, everybody in a relationship has the ability to mess up, to mess up the relationship. And I think that brings us to the final frustrating thing about relationships. Relationships are fragile. Relationships break very easily. It seems to me, you know, just speaking anecdotally from things that I've experienced and seen in my life, that it's much easier to break a relationship than it is to build a new one. It's much easier to break a relationship than it is to fix a relationship. 
you know, breaking a relationship is probably, most of us in this room, it's probably our forte. We're probably really, really good at breaking relationships. And the scary thing is, the scary thing is, is most of us only realize that a relationship is struggling and or on life support after it's already broken. And I don't mean just like little seams of cracks that are running through it. I mean totally shattered and destroyed. And that's the moment that we realize that the relationship is broken. You know, these things are true no matter who you are or what you've done or or where you've been in life or what's happened to you. And it it makes all of relationships, really, if we stop to think about them like this, it kind of makes them seem futile. Why do them? Why have relationships if this is what it's going to take and really this is hard work and it might just be easier to go on and just continue always building with new people and new things as opposed to putting in the hard work of building relationships. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul, the entire chapter is about relationships. In fact, his entire chapter, really he has kind of what I would call a DTR. You know what that is? A define the relationship moment with the people that are in Ephesus. And he says to them in the course of the chapter about all the different types of relationships that exist in our life. He says to them, I know many of you have been there and sat in these kind of conversations. In fact, you know, DTRs, how many of you ever had a DTR sometime? Anybody in here? You ever had somebody who defined the relationship with you? A little nodding going on. Yeah, it almost always seems like one of those define the relationships is always the woman, right? It's always you ladies who want to define the relationship. And they wait till the most opportune time, guys, for a, to define the relationship. When you're going down the highway at 50 miles an hour, right, she all of a sudden says, you know, I've been thinking and I um I wanted to know kind of what you were thinking. Now listen, let me just pause right here for just a second. All right? Ladies, first of all, let me just tell you something about us guys. We weren't thinking anything. <laughs> there was no thinking that was going on. Now, guys, there are two options in this moment that you have when when she says to you, right, that she's been thinking and wants to know what you've been thinking. Obviously, you haven't been thinking anything. Option number one is get out of the car right now, right? It's okay that it's going 50 miles an hour. It might be less painful than what's about to happen. There might be less scarring from that than what's about to happen. Here's option two. Option two is is that you pay really close attention to every word that she's about to say. Because if you don't, this is not about to be a define the relationship moment. It's about to be a destroy the relationship moment. Right? You have an opportunity here, so choose option two. If not, option one is a really good option. All right? So Paul argues though that before you can define the relationships that you have with other people before you can begin to live relatably 
what I would say is horizontally, right? All of those relationships that were in that circle all go out horizontally. And Paul says before you can do that, first you must define the vertical relationship. Because you can't fix horizontally what's broken vertically. You can't fix horizontally what is broken vertically. All of those relationships, the crowd, the cordial, those that are you like to keep company with, even your core, you're all on the same playing field. And we all have that same inability to develop strong relationships, full relationships. You know, oftentimes when that happens, we like to blame the other person. It was all their fault that our relationship fell apart. That's what happened here. You know, the the scary truth that lurks in some of the back of our minds is, is that there's always one common denominator in our own failed relationships. Us. Me. And the truth is, and what Paul says in chapter 4 is, is that our problems and our inability to relate with others is less a problem that exists between us uh, and the other person, and it's more a problem of what exists between us and God. In fact, it's a real problem that we try to fix all of these and we try to get all of our satisfaction and fulfillment from all of these horizontal relationships and we put all of the stress and the strain on those relationships and God says, that's not what I gave you those for, that's what I gave me for and that's why I'm here. That's the hole that you have in your life and nothing horizontally will fix what is already broken vertically. Lou Giglio said it this way. He said the number one flaw that we experience in relationships is that we expect more of other people than we can realistically give and be in our lives. Let me say that again. The number one flaw that we experience in relationships is that we expect more of other people than they can realistically give and be in our lives. You see, the brokenness that we experience in our horizontal relationships is merely symptomatic of the brokenness that exists in our vertical relationship. If you're taking notes, here's the one thing I want to make sure that you're writing down. If you're not and you just want to, here's the one thing he wants me to grab onto. Here's what I want you to hear. My ability... My ability to relate to others is directly related to my ability to relate to God. My ability to relate to others is directly related to my ability to relate with God. You see, I cannot relate well to others without God. Can I for a while? Sure. For a while, I can mask and hide, but eventually... Eventually, the brokenness that exists vertically leaks out into everything that is horizontal. 
Paul describes it this way in chapter 4, it's verse 18. He says the Gentiles, this is the people who are far from God. He says that they are alienated from the life of God. They have no life. But back in verse 7 he says, but there's a different group of people, those who choose to walk humbly like Jesus asked, and it says that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Here's the gift. Here's the grace that's given. It's an incredibly great news, and that is that Jesus relates to us. Jesus relates to you. You say, how is that possible? Well, here's what happened. Jesus chose to leave everything in order to come and live humanly, to live the same way that you and I do, to experience the same things that you and I do. And he experienced the fullness of humanity. Why? So that he could relate to you. So you could relate to him. There's nothing that Jesus didn't experience, including death. Not just the death of friends and family, but his own death on the cross. And then subsequently, here's something that he experienced. Three days later, he rose again. A resurrection. And it's that resurrection that's a gift to you and I because it changes our ability to relate. I love the picture of of the cross. The cross is a, a straight beam of wood that goes vertically and it's unbroken. And it's a straight beam horizontally and it makes a picture of what Jesus restored in my life. It's a symbol that says now Charles, vertically, you can, can reach to God of the heavens and have a relationship with him because Jesus stood on the cross for you. And he fixed what was broken between me and God. And it makes a picture that because that is fixed, that now my horizontal relationships, the relationships of people that are in my crowd and that I cordially know and that are in my company and that are close to me don't have to be broken either. Because of the cross. Lou Giglio had one more quote that I love. He said, the degree to which we receive this to re receive what God has given already to us determines the degree to which we are able to have meaningful relationships with other people. I want to give you one more side note from the moment that Jesus died. The moment that Jesus died as he was hanging on the cross, the temple was over in the city. And in the temple, there was this gigantic curtain and it symbolized and was very really, literally, the separation of man and God. If a man walked behind the curtain, he would die. 
instantly. In fact, they would tie a rope around the priest's ankle after he'd done all of this cleansing and trying to make himself holy enough to be able to get into God's presence that he would walk in there. But they tied the rope because after so long, if they didn't hear any movement in there, they were going to pull him back out. And at the moment that Jesus died, the cloth that separated these two areas ripped down the middle from the top down because all of a sudden our ability to have relationship with God that vertical relationship that was broken had now been broken wide open we had the ability to relate with God and to relate with others as I wind down I just want to ask you one question today If Jesus had a DTR with you, if he had a define the relationship moment, what would you say? You'd be like, heck no, I got to jump out of this car right now. Are you like, no, you know what? Jesus, I'm all in. I'm in this relationship. I want to be a part of this relationship. Thankful for this relationship. What would you say? I want to end with just one last thought. Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verse 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father but through me. See, in Jesus, we have the ability to be relatable. We have the ability to have a relationship with God. And when that's right, our ability to relate with everybody else becomes right. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the incredible cross that changed everything. God, that you and I can now have a relationship because of Jesus. And the way that that impacts everything about my life. God, I know over the next couple of weeks we're going to look at what you've said about our relationships, that if we already have a fixed relationship with you about things that we can do to have great relationships with other people around us. God, I'm looking forward to that, but I don't want to step over this most important thing. It doesn't matter if we try our hardest to do the other things. If we're still broken with you, then we're still broken. You know, maybe someone's sitting out there right now and you're, if you were honest with yourself and you were sitting in a car with 
Jesus and having the define the relationship talk, you would say, you know what? I don't have a relationship with you, Jesus. I'm not sure that we're headed the same place or that we have the same goals or any of those things. But I want to. I want to have a relationship with you. That's you. That's you in this room right now. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. The whole reason that he died on the cross was to have a relationship with you so that you could have a relationship with the Father and so that our relationships could be full and meaningful and significant and we could be relatable. We would have the ability to relate to others. If that's you and you say, you know what? I want that. The very end, I'll be in the back behind the black curtains back there. Come back. Come talk to me. Love to share with you about how you can say yes to Jesus. Yes to that relationship. God, use this moment. May it be powerfully and eternally yours. And use it to change people's lives. Thank you for defining us.